Okay, welcome to Line Noise. We wanted to bring you something a little bit different this week. Uh, this is a program that we recorded oh, at some point last year, but we think it's kind of ever fresh. Um, it's called Number One Fan. Hopefully we're going to do some more of them at some point. Um, but for the moment, I thought it'd be nice uh, to give it a listen. Uh, if you have just received this and you've got no interest in it, well, you know, just delete it or you can stop listening. But for everyone else, this is CK303, uh, the legendary DJ, talking about why he is the number one fan of Daft Punk. Hello and welcome to Number One Fan, which is our new irregular series about obsessive fans and the bands they obsess about. Today, uh, as you can probably hear in the background, we're talking about Daft Punk. So, it gives me great pleasure to announce that our very first guest on Number One Fan uh, is someone who I've known for a very long while. He's CK303, or Connor Keeling. He's a Dublin DJ extraordinaire, and he's created some of the best Duff Punk-inspired mixes and playlists you have ever heard. Um, CK303, Connor, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. You? This is I'm... my first time on Spanish radio. Have you brushed up in your Spanish? We're going, we're going strictly Spanish next. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, we often talk online about Daft Punk. You're, you're my number one. Whenever something happens with, with Daft Punk, I always ask you about it. But what I've never asked you is, like, how did you get into Daft Punk? Um, so the first time I ever bought a piece of um, audio hardware, I bought a, a little Roland MC303 box, which was a little kind of groove box. So the day I went in to collect it... Um, I popped into that there was a Tower Records beside the uh, the music shop. So I went in and they had uh, homework on a listening post. I think that was the day it had come out. So whatever, January 97. So put it on and the first track Daft and Direct just instantaneously struck a chord with me. Um, it's, it reminded me a little bit of Hard Floor's remix of Robert Armani, which was a record I was very keen on at the time. So I played one or two more tracks and then just decided, OK, that's a definite buy. 
And you later went on, I mean, skipping forward uh, very many years, your first teacher's mix, which was um, six years ago, I'm just saying it's 215,000 plays on SoundCloud, which is uh, not bad at all. How did you, what made you decide to do such an, in, an incredible mix? I know how much time you spend over these things. So wh- why did you decide to do it? I suppose I've always had a kind of a train spottery way about me so whatever artists i was into i was always particularly interested in their influences so when i was in a very heavy beatles stage you know i did a lot of i i tend to research and find out where has this wonderful sound come from the same when i was listening to new order and joy division so i've always been inclined I suppose, to go digging and find out where did these artists, where did this sound come from? Because it obviously, it, it rarely just emerges from a vacuum. So the, the homework liner notes back in 1997, you know, internet was just starting to kick off. So we, you didn't have access to YouTube. You didn't really have access to the kind of the thousands of lists that we take for granted today. So the the list of uh, artists that inspired the album that they had in the liner notes became a kind of a, a pretty serious guide for me to that world of electronic music that was pretty unfamiliar to me. So I had, I had listened to a good bit of electronic music in the early 90s, I suppose, being a New Order fan kind of brought me in that direction. So I'd been a big fan of Voodoo Ray by a guy called Gerald, but I'd kind of drifted away from electronic music for um, a number of years. So homework was kind of dragged me back in. So, you know, I just started to discover artists like Daniel Wang and Boo Williams and Glenn Underground. And I suppose at the time that I started thinking about the mix, um, there was a, a an excellent music website called DJ History. I don't know if you ever frequented it. I then. did, yeah, sadly. It, it was uh, run by Bill Brewster, who wrote Last Night a DJ Saved My Life. Um, but it was an incredible community based around a, a message board. So Todd Terrier and Francois Kay and Gerd Jansen and David Mancuso and lots of these very serious uh, people used to frequent the message board. And there was a huge... I suppose, mix culture. So people were always doing mixes and finding mixes and talking about mixes. So DJ Harvey's sarcastic disco was kind of, that was the Sergeant Peppers of that that culture that was kind of the ultimate mix. But there was, you know, people were always doing mixes with different angles and unearthing mixes with different angles. So in fact, my first exposure to Todd Turgy, he his kind of his first foray was he he started putting together some really good DJing mixes that got a lot of um, attention on DJ history. So it, I was interested, very interested in mixes, and you know I think if you're going to do a mix, a good theme is a big help. Right. Particularly, particularly, you know, in this world where there's just such a surplus of content and nothing, it's impossible for anything to really break through unless there's an angle. And nobody had done a teacher's mix of the artists that were uh, in the liner notes and and in the track itself. So I kind of felt it was a little race against time to, to get it done before somebody trumped me. 
I want to I want to play a song now. You you said that I asked you earlier the the very first Daft Punk tune you listened to it was Daft and Direct Track One Side One Homework. Um, I put it to you that this is one of the best opening songs in an album ever. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I think it's recorded live at a Fuse party in Ghent, according according to the liner notes. But it, I I really like the drum beat. It reminds me of a. Uh, music non-stop and kind of a couple of those electric cafe tracks by Kraftwerk. Which we have a little bit of it and then we'll continue to talk about the mix. This is Daft Punk with Daft and Direct. Unmistakable sounds of Daft Punk with Daft and Direct, which was the very first Daft Punk song uh, that our guest ever listened to. CK303, Connor Keeling, uh, the genius behind the uh, teacher's mixes. They, they are they are beautiful mixes. Um, Connor, I wanted to ask, um, how, how much time did it take to put together the first teacher's mix? Um pretty scary amount of time to be honest they take they take years i mean it's a hobby so i and i have a uh i have a, a daughter and a wife and a, a busy professional life so it's um just done with kind of half an hour here an hour there over a long period so i'm not really a perfectionist about many things in my life at all but the mix is certainly brought out a kind of a perfectionist tendency in me that I wasn't previously aware of. So you're just looking for, I suppose you take a very large pool of tracks and obviously Daft Punk's influences are very wide, very diverse. So you had a lot of material to work with. And then it's just a painstaking process of finding bits that go together and that go together and work in a kind of a flow for, I suppose, the mix is two hours. So and I suppose I wanted to pack a lot of artists in so I didn't want to leave tracks running for too long you know so they're typically kind of two minutes is 
the general time frame that a track will be in the mix. Although sometimes you're only using a drum beat or a vocal loop or an element, but that's kind of there's a there's a basic two minute rule. So it it took. Well, what happened was I did volume one first, actually, for Body Tonic, who are a kind of a, a music collective here in Dublin. Really cool bunch of guys that are still going. But I wasn't happy with the start of it. So I started, that was an hour long mix and I wasn't really happy just with the opening track. So I thought I'll do another five minutes new start to the mix. And that ultimately turned into another hour. So the first hour of... Um, Teachers Volume 2 was actually the second part I did. And then the second part of Teachers Volume 2 is the first one, which is very confusing. And did you ever get any feedback from the Daft Punk camp? I mean, I know loads of people like this, but what, did, did you ever hear anything from uh, Guiman Thomas themselves? No, they never reached out to me. DJ Falcon was a big fan of the mix. So um, I don't know if he ever mentioned it to them or played it to them. I know the mix has been up on their Wikipedia page for a very long time. So who knows? There's always hope. I'm going to take that as, as approval because, you know, otherwise yeah. it would go down, wouldn't it? Um, I asked you to pick a song from the mix. Uh, one of the great things about this mix is I, I, I like to think I know quite a lot about Daft Punk, but you, you schooled me. There are loads of things I don't know. And one of the tracks that I didn't know uh, is Deep Side with French, who I've subsequently discovered is Ludovic Navarre, a.k.a. Saint-Germain. What can you tell us about this, this track? Why did you put it on? Um, well, I suppose of all the tracks on a mix, the first track is the most important. Right. So that's the track that I agonize about more than any other track. So I had many different uh, opening tracks in mind for uh, the third volume. But ultimately, I came across this, I think, browsing down a, a YouTube wormhole and decided, yes, that's because it, I suppose Ludovic Navarre is obviously a, a key figure in the whole development of French electronic dance music, you know, so he engineered Acid Eiffel and Boulevard, I suppose, was a pretty key album as well. And he had a really nice synthesis. Some of his music was, you know, very heavily jazz influenced and quite organic sounding. But he also had this very Detroit influenced side of his music. But I suppose what I really like about the sound is it's very warm, those really nice warm pads that open it very well produced. I don't know what it is about French producers or whether it was the mastering, which you know, I know Daft Punk, like a lot of artists, had their stuff mastered by a guy called Niles, who uh, who died a couple of years ago, and it, it got quite a bit of coverage. But he was, I think, the mastering engineer. But I suppose the opening track, you really wanted to have a, be a beautiful sounding record if possible. So. Deep Side was one that I hadn't paid a huge amount of attention to previously, but you know, in in the process of research, came across, and I think it's, I think it's a beautiful record. It is very Detroit sounding, but with the kind of that unique French twist that they they certainly did so well, possibly still do. All right, do we have a bit of a listen? Deep Side with French. Let's go.
right, it kills me to uh, lower that already. Um, but we've got loads and loads to talk about. And I should say that if you want to hear lots more of this music, um, then Connor has done a uh, playlist on Spotify that is 1,095 songs. Is that correct? Yeah, it was originally 1,000 and then... I just kept <laughs> bolting tracks onto it as I as I came across them. So yeah, that's. I think it's a pretty good overview of all the stuff that went into the Daft Punk blender to produce the sound that they've come out with. So it, it obviously covers the homework era, discovery, human after all, not so much. That wasn't a particularly favoured uh, era by me. And then there is plenty of the kind of the very polished studio stuff that inspired random access memories as well we're going to get on to that that's an uh, an era i find very interesting but firstly i want to talk a bit about thomas bangalter's dad because another mix that you've done uh which was for days digital is uh, a daniel vanguard mix who is uh you can see in the picture he looks absolutely identical to thomas bangalter yeah, he's is a spinning image <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's thomas bangalter's dad and in daft punk history it's always a bit sort of uh, it's always recounted that he had a bit of an influence. Tell us a bit more about him and his influence on Daft Punk. Well, he's, he's kind of a shadowy figure in the Daft Punk story in that he is referenced and thanked very extensively in the liner notes for homework and discovery, I think. And I, I guess he certainly helped them to navigate the, uh, the financial side of the music world. So I know they've they've been very clever from the start. They've held on to their masters. They've they've basically played a very strong hand on the business side. And <clears throat> you know he was a very successful um, record producer from the 1970s. You know he's the guy behind DISCO, and you know some of his some of his records are among the best selling records in France of all time. So. He certainly would have known how to play the music game. But I suppose I discovered when I started to scratch the surface that musically he was a pretty impressive individual. So um, I think that mix of his stuff, it's an hour. I think it holds up pretty well. He was He's a very close friend of Wally Badaru, who right. is the um, fantastic keyboard player behind the... Um, the compass point sound so he's all over those kind of grace jones records talking heads lots of um really nice stuff he played on and so daniel vanguard is also a very good friend of chris blackwell the guy who owns island records so he, he seems to be um you know a very interesting character from the 1970s and the 1980s and i i think he then went to live in brazil in a little remote village with no electricity, which is kind of intriguing what was behind that. But I know, obviously, Thomas Bangalter grew up in a, a very affluent household. I think they lived in Montmartre. So, you know, I find it hard to believe that Thomas and Guy Manuel wouldn't have tapped, I suppose, that studio expertise that was available in the form of uh, Thomas's father. So if you look at how incredibly well produced homework is, you know, and done and done with pretty basic equipment, I suppose it begs the question of was he, I suppose, did he provide a lot of technical guidance as to how to get that sound? Who knows? Like, like I suppose so many things about Daft Punk. 
we don't we know. have very little information. <laughs> well, the track we're going to play is a Daniel Vanguard production, and it, I think you can, well, you can definitely hear uh, the crossover with Daft Punk here. We're going to play uh, Hypno Dance with Who's Who. No Dance, Who's Who, featuring the work of Daniel Vanguard, a.k.a. the father of Daft Punk's uh, Thomas Bangalter. Uh, and we are talking to CK303, uh, Connor Keeling, a Dublin DJ and Daft Punk fan extraordinaire. Connor, you, the next song we're going to put on, Surprise Me. Um, I, I, you sent me over some disco, some Detroit, which I kind of expected, and a Van Halen tune. Uh, why, why, why Van Halen? What's the link there? Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if you listen to homework, arpeggios are not a feature of the sound at all. But when they moved into the discovery phase, there were arpeggios all over the record. So I suppose Van Halen, if you listen to Aerodynamic, the kind of the the arpeggiated guitar is heavily Van Halen influenced. So I guess I find I found it interesting that Daft Punk had incorporated, you know, very obvious influences chicago house detroit techno etc but they were also pulling in i suppose influences out of left field that i think was a big factor in what gave them their unique sound that they were drawing on a very wide um palette of sounds and you know i suppose the magic there was the for want of a less pretentious word the synthesis that they created from all those very diverse influences so this track to me has a very daft punky sound even if it's a, a kind of a, a a heavy proto heavy metal record from the uh the late 70s I, i'm gonna nail my colors to the mast right Discovery is my favourite Daft Punk album. That is an exceptional album. I think what they did there was just absolutely incredible. Something entirely new. If this isn't too uh, awful a question, what is your favourite Daft Punk album? Homework. Homework, why? Yeah. 
it, I suppose homework to me was just like a call to arms. It was a, a completely, for me, a new sound. And it was my gateway into lots of pretty amazing music that from my 20s kind of it defined it. So I know this show is called Number One Fan, but I would have to admit Daft Punk have been responsible for some of the the biggest dis musical disappointments of my life. So I remember the first time I heard One More Time, I actually downloaded it through BitTorrent or whatever, whatever was, <laughs> Emule, or what was the very first one? Oh, Napster, wasn't Napster. it? Napster. Ah. And, you know, Knowing I've what your day Daft job is, I don't know if you should confess to this. Ro with Romanthony, which sounded like a marriage made in heaven because <laughs> I was a big fan of the Roman World album and Romanthony's stuff. But I remember the first time hearing that, I was just like, oh, my God, that is really worst case scenario stuff. Did you and want it was funny, to? I then played it. I was at a party and I played it to a big crowd of people saying, oh, my God, listen to this rubbish. And they all went crazy when they heard it. Did, did absolutely loved it. So Discovery was always slightly marred by that run in with the uh, with one more time, but I did love the album and I, Digital Love would be uh, a very special Daft Punk moment for me. Okay, we're going to play now uh, Van Halen for that soft rock uh, Daft Punk crossover. This is Van Halen with Sunday Afternoon in the Park. Van Halen, Sunday Afternoon in the Park, a big influence on Daft Punk. Um, we're talking to CK303 um, about Daft Punk and fandom, basically. You mentioned briefly that the Daft Punk have given you some of the biggest disappointments in your life. I kind of concur. Um, but but where? I mean, other than one more time, what did you reckon to Human After All and Random Access Memories? Did you like them? Um, human After All? 
I liked a couple of tracks on it, but I I do remember the first time listening through to the whole thing and I was pretty despondent by the end of it. <laughs> you know, after waiting four years um, for a follow-up to Discovery, which was a, a, a wonderful record, it um, felt massively anticlimactic to me. Now, I, I'd have to say... I. I wasn't particularly keen on the state of music around 2005 anyway, that kind of electro-funk, electro-clash sound wasn't particularly for me. So um, I wish they hadn't released it because I think what they did with it, with the, with the I suppose the raw material on the Alive 2007 um, show was pretty spectacular. But I, I thought Human After All was um, a pretty dismal effort. Random Access Memories, I have, um, I enjoy it. It's very well produced, so I like listening to it on um, on nice speakers at home. I think they probably overcooked it a little bit. I think, you know, I was reading they were spending, you know, three weeks to a month over which exact vocoder sound to use on a record. I think it could probably have done with a little bit more spontaneity. I think they did. Um, you know, they used to talk about how they worked, used to work very quickly and knock out tracks in an hour, an hour and a half. So I, I think maybe they lost a little bit of the magic. But I suspect the passage of time, history will be quite kind to Random Access Memories. It's an interesting confection, I guess, is probably the best description for it. But... Oh, I don't go know on. how you felt about it, Ben. Random, I, I really, really liked Get Lucky, and I was really up for it. And I remember reading all those like five star reviews and thinking this is absolutely fabulous. And I was not all that impressed. And I remember selling this to someone. They were like, "No, no, 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 you don't understand." Basically, what you want is you want Daft Punk just to do what they've always done. You know, you want them to make like Roulette style jacking house. Uh, you can't accept they've moved on. I was like, no, I can accept they move on. It's just that's what they do best. I don't think this is what they do best. I found it a little bit bland, but by their own standards. But th- there were some great, there were some great songs on it. But I, I was, I was fundamentally disappointed. And I think a lot of people that wrote those five star reviews. Uh, would be looking back at it now going, really? It's a bit like Be Here Now. I mean, it's not that bad. No, no, oh, in it. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing's that bad, but that same kind of thing, you know, when you're like, oh. I, I think the, I think it, with the benefit of 20 or 30 years, people look will look back at it as an interesting experiment. I think it could have been a lot better, and I actually think I would have preferred them to actually use some female vocals on it. So if you take the opening track, Give Life Back to Music, I think the vocoder vocals leave me really cold, whereas I think if they'd had, you know, a, a black woman singing on that track, it could have been something very different and much better. But I guess that's their prerogative. I actually prefer Human After All, because I think Human After All has two brilliant songs on, um, whereas Random Access, Mem- Access Memories only has one. Like I absolutely love Human After All and I love Robot Rock. I think those are absolutely fundamental Daft Punk tunes. And the rest of it is a bit... Ro- and Make Love's good as well. But, yeah, um, make, make Love is good. I, I actually thought that the last three tracks Daft Punk have been involved with, so I, the two tracks with The Weeknd and the Parcels track, I, I've liked the three of those, I have to admit, even though I'm not kind of mad on The Weeknd's persona. Um... I think they're promising. And actually, Guy Manuel 
did some pretty fabulous production on um, a track on the Charlotte Gansberg album, Rest. That, I don't know if you... That, oh, I love that. that album. Love that album. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think they probably still still have it. But, you know, I'm, I'll be very interested to hear what the uh, what the next record is like. But typically artists at this stage of their career are not producing their best work. So I suppose... I would temper my optimism from that point of view. Well, we're going to be talking later about who they should work with, because I know we've both got pretty strong views on this. Um, I wanted to ask you very briefly, what's your favourite Daft Punk song? It's a tricky one. Um, I think we were chatting about this. There is something very special about Alive. Such a song. Um, even though it's, it's not very Daft Punk sounding in some respects it is their defining track and that's i suppose that's the 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 common thread through the 1997 tour and the 2007 tour um digital love as i said before i i think there's something magical about that i have to say i think it's it's pretty special and revolution 909 always struck me as the kind of the perfect distillation of that kind of jacking chicago house sound that that really was the kind of relief and casual records all that kind of fabulous u.s house that was i suppose the primary influence on on the homework album that to me was the peak of that sound so um i think get lucky is a great pop record i think it will be played at weddings in 50 and 100 years time i have played it at um, the wedding yeah I, i i think alive which which was 1994, I think, wasn't it? I mean, Daft Funk is pretty incredible too. You, you, I, I suppose you just, you become a kind of n- numb to record like Daft Funk because you hear it so often. But it is an astounding record. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. And I suppose I always loved the fact that Daft Funk was, was directly inspired by Regulate by Warren G, which is always a, another record I love. But it's just funny to two French teenagers, you know, trying to emulate something and coming out with something totally different from what they were trying to emulate, but pretty pretty spectacular in its own right. Should we play a little bit of Alive? Work away. Absolutely. Right, this is Daft Punk with Alive.
can't believe I've just said we should bring that song down. That is such an unbelievably good song, and it brings up incredible memories of seeing Daft Punk live. Um, but CK303, this is something I want to, to speak to you about. We talked about Human After All, and for me, that album makes sense in a live context. When they did Live 2007, they used all those bits of Human After All. It was perfect. Have you seen them live? I, I've seen them twice live. So I saw them play uh, in Dublin in 1997 for the uh, the Daft and Direct tour, which was pretty incredible. So that was in a a venue called the Red Box um, in Dublin, and it was it felt there and then like seeing the Beatles in the Cavern. It was it was pretty incredible. But interestingly, there was a bootleg tape of the show did the rounds in Dublin in the weeks after it and a very good friend of mine and I both bought copies which we both subsequently lost but there is a incredible live version of Fresh on that bootleg tape which um, you can't hear anywhere else and it has become the kind of the holy grail for Daft Punk nuts so the Daft Club, which was kind of the, the main gathering area for Daft Punk freaks, there was a you know a thousand message thread people offering to sell a kidney to get to get their hands on this Daft Punk Live at the Red Box bootleg, but it, it still hasn't materialized unfortunately. Somewhere in a rubbish dump in somewhere, Dublin. It's just... Somewhere in a rubbish dump. So that was ninety seven and then I saw them at Global Gathering in two thousand and six for the the second tour, which was pretty spectacular as well as as you know having seen it i mean it was it was a great way to see it because unlike many of their live shows at the time it, they came on at midnight so it's always nice it's always nice that kind of music the later the better in my book and it was in a tent so that was a, a pretty mind-blowing show i think they kind of revolutionized um live performance of electronic music and not just electronic music i mean that that show i think was a huge influence on live music generally everyone from kanye to taylor swift to i suppose it just brought the the audio visual elements to a completely next level i thought as well that, that they have two live albums which is pretty incredible for electronic music and they're both utterly brilliant live 97 live uh, 2007 um, what do you reckon to those those two albums? I listen to, funnily enough, I was thinking Live 2007 is almost the Daft Punk album I listen to most these days. Yeah, I suppose because I had that bootleg of the 97 show, which was better than the Alive 1997 formal album is kind of strange. It's, it's short. Um, and having seen the 97 live show, it leaves off kind of most of the best bits which is peculiar. So they used to do a kind of a, a version of Around the World Into the Chase by Giorgio Moroder. They used to, they did an encore of Teachers, which was absolutely incredible. Um, and they also did, used to do a cover of You Can't Hide From Your Bud by uh, DJ Sneak. And unfortunately, none of that material has ever seen the light of day. So I find the 97 live show a bit frustrating. 2007, much much better i think i think it's a very good document although i listened i actually preferred to listen there was a there was an incredibly high quality bootleg from the coachella show right which uh i preferred listening to because i just like the idea that you were listening to people who were seeing this 
this incredible show for the first time anyone had ever seen it. So there is a real sense of excitement there that I don't think you could get any get anywhere else. But I I think they did an incredible job and I, I suspect they may never tour again because I don't think they've any prospect of topping the 2007 show in terms of spectacle. And I think the music they're making now doesn't lend itself to that type of show anymore, really. That's the problem, isn't it? I remember a few Glastonbury's ago, there was a big rumour that Daft Punk were going to be coming and playing a secret set and somebody just said, why? They've just done this album with, like, you know, Niall Rogers and, and uh, Pharrell Williams and people like that. Are they really going to come and play some dodgy tent in Glastonbury? I, just you think, know? Yeah, I, think, I think that would be a bit of a mess if they tried to do a kind of a random access memory style live show with musicians. I don't... It might work okay, but it's 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 going to be a massive anticlimax relative to, you know, it's kind of the pinnacle of um, turbo-powered electronic music, the, the 2007 show. So they're probably better off just preserving the legend and, and not having another go, although they're obviously forsaking an incredible amount of money by doing so. So let's listen to a song from uh, Alive 2007. This is Face to Face and Short Circuit. That is Daft Punk Face to Face and Short Circuit. Or you didn't hear any of Short Circuit because time is running out um, from their live 2007 album. I'm calling it the best uh, live uh, album in the history of electronic music. So there. And that also. Where did you pre- see them, Ben? I saw them in Hyde Park in 2007. Okay, yeah. And Kira I saw. Knightley was there. Was she? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 there's, video of it, uh, there's video of it on YouTube and you can see Kira Knightley swaying away 
I'll have to look that up. She she wasn't she wasn't there with me. I'll tell you. But I also saw them at uh, I saw them at Glastonbury, nineteen ninety seven, and I saw them uh, DJing in uh, Manchester in nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety six, I think, as well. And there is a bootleg of that, and good lord, it's good. Um, but playing face to face gives us a chance to talk about their influences. Um, we've obviously talked about uh, Detroit techno. We've talked a little bit about rock. Um, what are there other kind of influences? You you talked you you brought up two tunes, Mr. Flaggio, Take a Chance, and Drexia Water Walker. Why why those? Well, Water Walker, I suppose, was their first. Um, I think their first gig, DJing gig outside the country back in 1996 was somewhere in Holland, and there's a there's a, a recording of it can be found on SoundCloud. And Water Walker by Drexia is a is a tune they play, but. I suppose what's interesting about it is they kind of co-opted that, the riff from that for um, Short Circuit. Yeah. So they were, you know, like like the Beatles, like so many great artists, they are musical magpies. So they're thieving little bits here and there, but doing it with such a ferocious talent that it, it's, it becomes more than the sum of its parts. So... You know, it, I like the way that their influences go from the most underground. So Drexia would obviously have a very special place in the pantheon of Detroit techno, but they were also big Barry Manilow fans. So, you know, I think part of their aesthetic was we don't care what's cool. And that really came to the fore, I think, on Discovery. And that, that probably threw people a little that they had been these, I suppose, untouchable underground electronic music heroes. And the next thing, you know, they sounded like Buggles or Oreo Speedwagon and the like. So I think that was a, that threw a lot of people. This is what- say. But, but I, I, was, I was happy to go on that journey, I have to admit. This is something that always gets me. You get those sort of websites, which is like Daft Punk sample this, and you get people going like, oh, well, I could have done that, which really annoys me because it's like, well, yeah, but you didn't, did you? You know, it's like, yeah, you could have made that if you'd gone back 20 years and sampled it perfectly, but you didn't. You know, people think it's kind of so easy. And actually, I think some of their brilliance is knowing what to sample. I mean, like, you know, you hear Robot Rock, which is a song I absolutely love, and you hear the source material, and it's like, yeah, that was perfect. You've two, picked mm. the perfect song, picked the perfect bit out of it, and that's such an underrated uh, skill, I think. Well, sampling is, you know, if you take artists like Moody Man or Jay Dilla, you know, sampling at its best is an extraordinary art form. Pepe Braddock is another one that, that springs to mind. You know, Daft Punk, if you take uh, the George Duke sample on Digital Love, I mean, okay, that's the backbone of the song, but everything they overlay over it is what makes it. We're going we're gonna to skip a couple of songs because our time is running out, but I, as I say, I'd recommend you go to your Spotify playlist to listen to them. And I want to talk about what's next for Daft Punk because I'm not really sure. I mean, it's quite a long time now since Random Access Memories. Um, there's no six th- th- years. Oh, good lord! Um, and there's no sign of a new record on the horizon. Or I guess you never really know with them. And I asked you who you think they should work with. So, so what do you think? Who, if you were, you know, Daft Punk's manager? No, they don't have one. But if you were their manager, what? And and you know, saying, come on, get back on it. Who would you advise they work with? Um, well, I suppose to claim some bragging rights, I I had hoped that they would work with Panda Bear before it came to light, that they were actually working with him. So 
maybe I have some magical powers. I would love to see them work with uh, Jaipal. Yes. I, I think that would could be a, a, a pretty incredible combination. He's, to my mind, probably the most extraordinary artist operating at the moment, even though his discography is, is very small and I suppose very unusual when you think about the leaked album. But I think... I think his voice and possibly his production style in combination with with their talents could be pretty amazing. I'd like to see them work with um, Sky Ferreira as well. I don't know if you ever listened to Everything is Embarrassing by Sky Ferreira. It was on a Guy Manuel Spotify playlist back right. when Random Access Memories came out. But she had talked about meeting Guy Manuel and getting on really well with him. And I think her voice, I'd love to hear them work with a female vocalist because it, it's it's pretty odd they haven't you know their career is over 25 years now and I don't I can't think of any instance with them having a female vocal on a record I Even can't think they've of any done no. lots of vocal records with lots of different artists so I, I just think that could be a really interesting dimension to their sound and Flying Lotus as well you mentioned Flying, I suppose, random access memories. The concept was that they used all these incredible session musicians that had played on, you know, Thriller and Off the Wall and the like. I would love to hear them play with, I suppose, the new cream of instrumental virtuosos like Flying Lotus in terms of his use of sampler, Thundercat in terms of bass, and Taylor McFerrin keyboards there's a kind of an interesting west coast um group of really talented and instrumentally talented musicians and i would love to see them i suppose take that random access memories concept but do it with those probably younger more vital musicians and do something more contemporary more interesting possibly well, here's hoping. Um, we're, we're, we're out of time, unbelievably. Um, this has been the first edition of Number One Fan. We've had a brilliant guest, CK303, Connor Keeling, uh, Dublin DJ. Go and listen to all of his mixes if you haven't already, which you probably have because they've got thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of listens. Um, we'll be back at some point. Connor, if you're ever in Barcelona, drop by. Absolutely. And we're going to play out with Jaipal uh, Jasmine. So one of the artists that we think Daft Punk should work with. Until next time, this has been Number One Fan. Thanks, Ben.